Hey, it's Dan here. Do you really want to know God's will for you? It's probably not as complicated as you might think. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, if you're new to the 48 Days Radio Show, this is where each week we dive into some real-life questions about finding your passion deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. This is where normal, indecision, and ambiguity come to die. Hey, welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. You know, I've always been fascinated with Leonardo da Vinci. Just how he thought. He's described as an Italian polymath. A polymath, if you aren't familiar with that term, it just means somebody who has an incredible amount of knowledge across a number of subjects where they can draw on audit. And he was, he was known, now I'll just tell you this, he was known, of course, for his art. He really didn't do that many paintings, but he did the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper, things that are pretty well known. But he also was really well known in the fields of civil engineering, chemistry, geology, geometry, hydrodynamics, mathematics, mechanical engineering, optics, physics, pyrotechnics, and zoology. I'm just fascinated with how he thought, how he approached problems. Last year, one of my mastermind events, I bought models of some of the things that Leonardo da Vinci invented. And we sat on the floor, divided into small groups, sat on the floor and put together models just so I could could hopefully get into that mindset of being creative, seeing things as a kid, perhaps, to help us see solutions that we otherwise miss. So I had models of the helicopter and uh, the parachute and an armored vehicle, a drawbridge um, the catapult, just all, all those kind of things that he is known for having the first designs. And of course, you can find sketches that he did, volumes of sketches that he did as he was just thinking. Now, there's a reason I'm telling you this, and I'm going to reference it again later in this episode. But I wanted to know how he thought. So I studied, I've studied books like How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. I've read biographies of him. You know, I've I've looked at what other people had to say about his work, approach it from a variety of ways. That's important. Now, here's another thing I want to plant in your brain. Have you ever been out there watering the flowers in your yard? You pull the hose and, oh, the sun is warm, the hose is warm, and you get one of those kinks. It just instantly stops the flow of water. How do you remove that kink in your hose? Well, you may have a kink in your thinking, a kink in the flow of the ideas that you want. And I'm going to explain to you one process relative to a common question that I get here about how to get that kink out of your hose. All right, so here we go. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at. How do you know if something is a million dollar idea? If you get multiple ideas every week, how do you choose? Someone says, I feel like there's something specific for me to do But because it's not clear, I cannot move forward. 
The lady writes, I'm a young 66-year-old female. I lost my job 16 months ago and can't get another job. And then a question, I'm stuck in a job that's no longer for me, and I don't know where God wants me to go next. All right, now here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer a couple of these questions, and I'm going to move into this idea, how do you know God's will? Now, if you don't want to listen beyond that, that's fine. I'll give you a clear indication when we're at that break. But if that's something you've asked yourself, stick around. We're going to unpack some things that I think will help you. Our quotation today comes from Picasso, who said, Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. Our resource for today, because of some of the content we're talking about, is how to develop your own personal mission statement. I mean, if God has instilled the desire in each of you to have a sense of mission rather than just a job, how do you do that? We've got a process. You can walk right through it. Just go to 48days.com slash mission, and you're going to find it right there. 48days.com slash mission. It's a worksheet. It's a workbook for you just to go through. You know, if you spend 30 minutes going through it, you got to be able to come up with more clarity on what your mission, calling, purpose, destiny is. All right, one more note here, and then we're going to jump into some questions. In a couple weeks, actually on June 21st at 2 o'clock, Joanne, my wife and I, are going to be talking about how to have a marriage, even if you have an entrepreneurial business. You know, how to survive the challenges that are going to come at you but how to make your marriage strong, how to build a strong marriage, just like you would build a strong business. I mean, a lot of principles are very, very similar. And I've, I've always invested time, energy, resources in my marriage in the same way that I have in businesses. So we're going to share some of those principles. Questions come up a lot about that. That's going to be on June 21st at two o'clock. If you go to 48days.com slash open house, you'll see how we're going to present it. No cost to that. Be happy to have you join us. Just listen in, maybe get a couple tidbits of about your own business and marriage. Again, that's 48days.com slash open house. Now, last week here in the podcast, I talked about, so you want to go back to Egypt, talked about the idea that, you know, getting to the promised land sometimes takes a little longer than what you expect. We got a lot of examples of that in the Bible and all in other history as well. Getting to the promised land, however we define that, sometimes just takes a little longer. And so we got a lot of response to that. And and, and I just want to share a couple of them here. But Jennifer says, how do you know if something is a million-dollar idea? If you get multiple ideas every week, how do you choose? Well, it's wonderful to have a lot of ideas. I mean, creative, inventive, non-traditional, entrepreneurial, big-thinking people, big dreamers, have tend to have a lot of ideas. That's a wonderful starting point, but you can't chase all those rabbits. I mean, there's a lot of old adages about you chase two rabbits, you don't catch either one. Well, it's like that with ideas as well. You know, you have too many on the table. You can have a lot of little things percolating and nothing really getting steam and getting underway. So I usually anticipate having a clear plan and then commit to one idea. One, well, let me back up a little bit. Take your ideas, all the ideas that you've got, and I encourage you to have a lot of ideas at any given time. Don't try to restrict your idea flow. Keep a log of those. 
But if you want something that you're actually going to work on and develop, take a list of 20 ideas, but then filter it through what you know about yourself. You should know your unique skills and abilities, your unique personality traits, your unique values, dreams, and passions. Those are some of the key principles I lay out in 48 Days to the Work You Love. Know that about yourself, because much of this process is not about having the right idea, but understanding what idea fits you. Your idea may be right for somebody else, but not you. So filter through what you know about yourself. So then take that list of 20. Based on that, narrow down to three or four ideas. Do a little bit more research on those and then choose one and act. That's the way I approach any idea where I actually create a plan and act on it. Once I create a plan and act on it, then I go full force on that without second guessing myself, without looking over my shoulder for one year. That's the timeline that I've used with ideas at that point. I mean, this comes down to if you want to write a blog and do that once a week, well, just do it for an entire year. So get 52 of them out there, then look back and see, is it really giving you the kind of traction that you want? If you're going to do a podcast, I mean, we know the average podcast lasts seven episodes, seven episodes. That's not even two months. And people look at it and say, oh, gee, it's not working. I don't have an audience. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. And so they stop. No, if you have thought it through on the front end, if a podcast fits you, and if you have a topic that's worth sharing, then do it for a year. Don't look at your numbers. Who cares? Don't do any of that. Just do it for a year. Then draw a line in the sand, take a deep breath, and then look at it. See if it's actually working. Now, I can't do that with more than one or two ideas at a time. So if you've got a flood of ideas, that's fine, but you can't really develop them all. You may be able to circle back to some at a later time. That's fine. But You can't be developing 16 different ideas at once. Narrow down, have one or two, but then do it for a year without second-guessing yourself. Jocelyn says, I've been floundering. I know I want to start something. A few years ago, I was encouraged to look toward using my knowledge as a speech-language pathologist, especially for the adult population. But I can't figure out what I'm selling. I don't think I want to continue one-on-one, long-term, but all my experience has been in the person in person with the clients. My husband and I had a conversation. And I realized the problem I want to solve is to a market of people that likely don't know there is a problem to solve. And so I'm back to square one. I feel like there's something here for me to do, but because it's not clear, I can't move forward. I have this group as a resource talking about the Eagles community at this point and for encouragement, but have not utilized it. And I'm looking for help on this issue. Well, Jocelyn, I did a little research about your specialty, speech-language pathologist. It does appear on the surface that you've been trained in a profession that's pretty limited in application and compensation. Now, when you think about that, and some of you listening are going to think, oh, wow, that describes me. I'm trained in a profession where I've got degrees, certification, but it's pretty limited in application. And as a speech language pathologist, yeah, I mean, there are some things, I found this on one of the sites that says, well, burnout rises, it's also harder for clinicians to transition into roles that don't include direct patient care. Or if the clinician wants to leave the field altogether, it may be difficult to find a new career with such a specialized skill set. 
Unlike nurses who have many options for non-bedside nursing, it's harder to find those options for a speech-language pathologist. As you mature and can no longer deal with workplace pressure, it may be hard to find jobs that are accommodating. Career advancement is also difficult since there's not much hierarchy in the rehab world. You can advance to being a manager, which is which often it still encodes treatment, and it's high pressure and doesn't pay much more. Okay, now that, that was what I found in, from somebody else's writing. But Jocelyn, this is a starting point, and this is an opportunity to think like an eagle. What could you do with your training and knowledge that utilizes your background but breaks out of those traditional constraints? See, that's what we do as eagles. We take what everybody else sees as the traditional options, A or B, and we think, whoa, what about C, D, E, and F? That's where we go. So could you do seminars for people who are fearful of speaking to groups but need to do that in their positions? I mean, you could train them to speak from their diaphragm, to project and stand with confidence? Could you run a week-long camp for kids who are struggling with speech? Maybe involve them in activities to give them confidence and practice. I mean, could you create a short course in overcoming the most common speech challenges? Or become an expert in working with people who have strokes? Golly, just as I'm speaking here, my neighbor is walking into her house. She had a stroke eight months ago, and she's just now able to walk with a cane. It's very, very difficult for and her speech has been affected dramatically you know could you teach at a university i mean a lot of instructors in our eagles community are teaching from home at universities around the country and maybe you could just create a site a website with resources for parents of children who are struggling with speech challenges where you have seminars books perhaps uh, nutritional supplements courses just things that would help them i mean there are people who have a lot of success just being a resource to to bring resources together like that for a particular area of need. Now, my experience has been that new opportunities for professionals like you normally don't negate the value of their current degrees and credentials, but they do look for creative applications to move forward. I worked with a dentist a few years ago, and he had left dentistry three times because he hated it so much, but then he'd crawl back to it again because it was the only thing that he could find that was you know, consistent in creating the kind of income he was used to. So as we started to unpack this, he's like, why did you choose dentistry? Well, his dad was a doctor. He didn't want to do that, but he wanted to do something where he could wear nice clothes. People would see him as a professional and he'd make a lot of money. Nothing he described had anything to do with dentistry. I said, okay, so you want something where you can wear nice clothes you know, make a lot of money, be seen as a professional. So here's what what I had him do. I said, what are some of the needs that dentists have, independent dentists? Incidentally, I asked him, I said, how many independent dentists are there? And at the time he said there was like 600,000. I mean, an immense number of independent dentists. He said one of their challenges is finding the tools that they need. So like the little hand drill, you know, they wear out. How do you get a new one? It's a pain to go have to look for another one, decide which one to get and all. I said, what if you became the curator for all those supplies that dentists need? What if you went to the dentist and asked them to pay you $29 a month to be their resource for finding the best deals? And then 
if you went to those vendors, the suppliers, and told them, instead of having to deal with people one at a time, you're going to be bringing them a buying block where all those materials would come through them without them having to sell individually one at a time. They just sell to you. You make the decision and then make the recommendations to all those people. Would they give you discounts? He said, oh my gosh, they sure would. I said, what I want you to do in the next 90 days is to find a thousand dentists who agree to what we just described. He said, oh my God. He said, I probably have 5,000 dentists in my own personal Rolodex. I said, well, just do that. So he did that. That's what he did. In 90 days, he had 1,000 people, $29 a month to have that kind of service. Sure. Now, the interesting thing was this guy had filed bankruptcy because one of his ventures in going outside of dentistry was a disaster financially. And he was, so he was not bankable. He couldn't even go borrow money for a business, but this wasn't a business that required money. It required his expertise as a dentist though. What he did was that he found a thousand people and more to sign on for his service, $20 a month. Well, you do the math on that. That's $29,000 a month that he has in money coming in. Can he then take the time to go increase the number of those vendors who are on that and increase the number of dentists who he's serving? Sure. And what that did was validate his background as a dentist, but put him in a position where he would never again have to have his hands in somebody's mouth. But it validated his background. Jocelyn, that's the way you've got to think here. You've got to keep asking the questions. I mean, we have an amazing brain trust here in the Eagles community, and I know others will jump in and help you as well, but that's how you have to think. Think differently than what another speech language pathologist is going to see as their possibilities. Where can I go get another job? Well, it's probably not going to be that, or you're going to be locked into the same model that you're used to now. But get used to thinking differently That's what we do around here. All right. I'm going to switch gears right here. Told you this was coming. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go into a couple questions that kind of frame this issue of how do I know God's will? And, you know, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And people very readily just say, gee, I wish I knew God's will for me. So we're going to throw that out here. doesn't matter where you are theologically. You probably are, fami- are comfortable with the terminology that we're using here at least, and that's fine. Now, that music also reminds me that uh, we are taking real-life questions here from you, the listeners. I appreciate those. I'm honored to get those every week. If you got questions you want to shoot in here, just send those in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, it's simply askdan at 48days.com. All right. So here's where I'm going to switch gears. If, if that's all you want from today, hey, that's fine. Check back in next week. If you're curious about this issue, how do you find God's will? Stick around. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor, but I'm going to dig into some things here that I think can help all of us, things that have certainly helped me with this very issue. So Barbara says, Dan, I've read your book and got a lot from it. I'm a young 66-year-old female. I lost my job 16 months ago, and I can't get another job. I was in banking for 15 years, and before that, I was freelancing for Estee Lauder and Chanel. Uh, the interviews I have had have been horrible due to the questions they ask. Can you please give me some suggestions on how I can find a job? All right. Now, Barbara, you put in there that you're 66 years old, and that's, that's fine. That's not a deterrent. That's not the critical factor here. 
knowing yourself and what it is you have to offer is the critical factor. I mean, companies everywhere, and I just heard in the news yesterday, there's some outrageous figure of jobs that are open right now in the United States. I mean, it's just, it's been a long time since we've seen the kind of number of jobs that are available. Now, things have changed. No question about it. Banking has changed. Maybe some of the positions you had before no longer even exist. That's okay. But take a fresh look, not just at what you've done, but take a look at yourself, what you know about yourself, your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. From that, you ought to get a clear focus. That may be drawing on some of the things that you've done in the past, and it may be kind of a redirection, and that's okay. You can do that. So look at yourself first. Get clear about the value that you bring. Practice answering those questions, those horrible questions that they ask you. Anticipate them. There's nothing that you should not anticipate in terms of question. And a lot of interview questions these days are asking questions like, you know, why are manhole covers around and how many barbers are there in Chicago? Things that you think, why are they asking that? What does that have to do with? Well, they want to know how you think, how you approach solving problems. So don't be thrown off by those. Don't see that as something unfair or horrible. Just anticipate it and be prepared to respond to anything they could possibly bring your way. Practice those. If you have 48 days, I have a, a chapter in there that addresses this and has a whole bunch of questions in there, not only that you should anticipate responding to, but also questions that you need to be ready to ask. People who ask questions are seen as more intelligent, more responsible, you know, more engaged, more energetic, and all that as well. So be prepared for those as well. And then get out here, my goodness, you're in the driver's seat these days. You know, we talk in real estate about having a, a buyer's market or a seller's market. Well, this is a, this is a seller's market because uh, you have yourself to sell, and this is a seller's market. There are companies that are eager to talk to you and to get you on board with them. Now, here's a question from Steve, and this is where he adds that critical part of the question. Steve says, Dan, I'm reading your book now, and I've read several on your reading list already. People like you and I are two peas in a pod. That's why I'm an Eagles member and listen to your podcast. But we're different because I'm stuck in a job that's not for me any longer, and I don't know where God wants me to go next. I know that it's time for action, but I don't know what to do. Thanks for all you do. Now, remember that kink in the hose that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode? When you're out there in a hot summer day, you pull in a hose to water over next to the next tree, and the hose kinks, and it just instantly cuts off the flow of water. Well, remember me talking about wanting to know how Leonardo da Vinci would think about a problem? You know, how does he approach a problem? How does he think? How does he treat people around him? How does he engage them to help him do what he wants to get done? Well, I read about him. I read everything I could read about him. I read things that other people wrote about him. You know, anything I could do to kind of get my hands on how insight into how this guy would think. So back to our question. I don't know where God wants me to go next. Well, God has given us a whole lot of information. 
And if you know that pretty well, it's going to get that kink out of the hose and allow you to feel pretty confident about what God wants you to do next. So let's just kind of run through some basics here. We've got the Ten Commandments. Let's start with those. So the first three uh, talk about our duty to God as our supreme ruler. Um, The first commandment, he requires us to worship. The second, reverence. The third, service. The fourth contains our duty toward those who are God's representatives upon earth. And the remaining six, that's the first four, the remaining six contain our duties to ourselves and to the people around us. The fifth is for protection of life, the sixth for purity, the seventh of property, the eighth of honor, ninth and ten have to do with our domestic life with our neighbors. So here's what they are, and we won't belabor this, but it would do well to go review them. So here they are, Ten Commandments. Boom. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. All right. So you can go back, unpack those. But let's just take as an example. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What are you doing on a Sabbath day? You know, are you just you know mowing a lawn and washing your car and uh, getting caught up on work around the house? Do you go to church for 58 minutes and then rush out back to your office to continue working? I mean, I asked a pastor one time, they were using the 48 Days materials in their church, and uh, I asked him when he observed the Sabbath. I won't give you the backstory on that. There's a story behind it. But I asked him, I said, when do you observe the Sabbath? He says, well, I'm off on Friday. I said, what do you do on Friday? He said, I have a list of things my wife wants me to do that's longer than I could possibly get done. I said, okay, so it's not Friday. I know it's not Sunday because you're working. That's your big work day. When is it? He couldn't identify a day that he really observed the Sabbath. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's one of the things God commands is to rest rest on the seventh day of creation. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can do that and days you can choose and all that, but to not have a Sabbath at all, eh, that's going to put a little kink in your hose. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Wow. I mean, some of these things get pretty close to home. Is there more? Is there more? Let's just look at some other tips for understanding the mind of God and releasing the flow of his wisdom to us so we know what he wants us to do. In Matthew, somebody asked, you know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So are you doing that? Is there anybody right now you can think of that you really hate? I mean, it may be a neighbor, a coworker, the guy who cut you off in traffic this morning. It could be the residents of another country, a certain class of people. But if you do... If there's somebody you hate, there's a serious kink in your hose for hearing from God about his will for you. Well, let me add a couple more. 1 Corinthians 13. We're, taught, we're told to love. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest commandment there is. 
And so it's defined in 1 Corinthians 13, love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him, always expect the best of him, always stand your ground defending him. Wow, is that true of your relationships with other people? Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty, selfish or rude. Well, we got some pretty clear descriptions here of what God is all about and what he expects of us. Let's see, anything else? What about tithing? Are you doing that? I had to talk to a, a pastor friend uh, just recently, and he said somebody approached him with this question. You know, gee, I don't know what God wants me to do for my life. You know, how can I get an answer? And he said, are you tithing? And the guy was really taken back. He's like, well, what's that got to do with this? Well, it's one of those things. It's pretty clearly laid out. You know, are you giving 10% of your income? Now, this is not, you know, these are not, these are, these are, had a grand conversation with a grandson the other night about some of the things in the Bible. They're not given as somehow pulled out of the air. Yes, I know Moses came down from the mountain, but Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. These are pretty basic common sense principles. They don't have to come from another world and be superimposed on it. They're common sense principles for living well. All of these things are. So tithing is in that category. Wow. I mean, what does it do when you're able to give generously? Well, tithing is given as kind of a guideline for doing that. And a lot of people will testify to the fact that if they give 10%, somehow the remaining 90 seems to go a lot farther than if they try to keep the 100% themselves and make that stretch. So are you doing that? If you're doing that, it's one of those things that's probably going to open up the floodgates of your wisdom and insight. Well, one more, one more real quick here out of Galatians 5, and we'll wrap up. When you follow your, it, it talks about having the fruit of the Spirit is the way it's described, but when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. That's the bad side. There will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I had before, that's not the path to be on. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's pretty easy to see the contrast in those two. So if your life is full of constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticism, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group, wow, you got a kink in your hose. You can't expect to get clarity on God's will for you. You aren't living in the path that he's so clearly laid out for us. Billy Graham said, if you're ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. All right. 
That's why I laid out. If I want to know about Leonardo da Vinci, I'm going to study him. I'm going to study how he thought, study what others wrote about him. If I don't know about God's will, how God thinks, how he treats other people, how he engages other people to get involved in the things he thinks are important, I've got a whole lot of information I can go to. And if I understand that, it's going to change things for me. So here's a quick recap of how you can start to know God's will. Number one, follow the Ten Commandments. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Number three, tithe 10% of your income. Number four, display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in everything you do. Trust me, if you're doing those things, you'll remove the kink in your hose. Your eyes are going to be opened. Your heart will be receptive. And the will of God is going to be pretty easy for you to see and understand. All right. I hope that's helpful. I hope that that really resonates with you. I mean, I, 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 when I hear this question so much. How can I know God's will? It comes up again and again and again. And I, I don't think it's as complicated as we make it out to be. It's not like you have to go sit in a desert on a stump for three days and wait for the bolt of lightning. It rarely happens like that. But if you're doing the things that we covered here, wow, it keeps that kink from getting knotted up in your hose. It keeps that water flowing through pure, clean, fresh, invigorating, positive, inspirational. Wisdom is everywhere. That's the way it works. Don't know how to put it any easier than that. Hey, remember, Joanna and I are going to be sharing some principles about marriage and business in our Monday Mentor Call coming up on June 21st, 2 o'clock. We're opening that up. It will be recorded if you want to, if you, that time doesn't work for you. But just go to 48days.com slash open house for that. Hey, we're going to wrap up with that. A lot to ponder, a lot to stew on here, a lot to chew perhaps. I want to go back and review the simplicity here. It really is not that complex but it may be a major piece for you in getting the clarity to move forward. And we need that. I mean, there's no question about it. We need the clarity to move forward before we can really have the confidence to walk out a plan. Don't just do something because intellectually it looks okay. We have to have a sense of peace about it. And a lot of times knowing God's will comes down to just that, a sense of peace or lack thereof. Something can look good on paper. If you don't have a sense of peace about it, that's another way God can speak to us. And again, if you're doing the things we're talking about here, that sense of peace or lack thereof should be pretty clear. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being open to growing and being a powerful force for making the world a better place, for leading and inspiring others. Wow, and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 